all things defense. DeAndre Ayton, Mikael Bridges, Devin Booker, what will they all be doing on the defensive end of the floor? Why does it matter, and can it help the Suns get to the promised land? Coming up, all of that right away here on Locked on Suns. You are Locked on Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. We are back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. I'm your host, Brendan Clean, credentialed media member covering the Suns the past five seasons and your host here every single day. Thank you for making Locked On Suns your first listen every single morning. Follow the show on Twitter at Locked On PHX Suns if you have not already. It is time for question number 11 in our Suns preview series here. 13 questions that will define the Phoenix Suns season. Joining me to help answer question number 11 is Mo DeKeel. You can hear him at The Athletic. You can read him at Bleacher Report. Mo, how are you doing? Are you ready for the NBA season? I'm pumped, Brandon. I cannot wait for the NBA season. We're recording this on a Tuesday night, and it's a week away, man. We're so close. We are so close. Uh, It feels crazy that I had this uh, half-baked plan to do 13 questions as an ode to Steve Nash, and now here we are. At, uh, at number 11, winding our way down. Just one preseason game left for Suns fans. And then a big break, which is really weird. Um, but the question we're answering today, in short, is how could the Suns' defense change in 2022? And, you know, we'll obviously get into, does it need to change? What, what would it look like if it did change? But what I want to start with you on, Mo, is what do you think was the problem with the Suns' defense in the finals because I feel like it was really that end of the floor that did them in. Um, You know, you can bicker with that. I'm sure that there could have been things on offense that they did better. You don't ever lose a game on just one side of the floor, but that felt like where things started to fall apart and they just weren't able to stop Milwaukee. Why do you think that was and what did you come away from that final series feeling about the Suns' defense? Yeah, some of that was, I think, fatigue a little too, right? Like, when you look at Milwaukee, I mean, it's just they overwhelm you with size. You know, and, and let's just be honest, the Suns are not a big team. It's it's DeAndre Ayton, and then your next center at that time after Dario Saric went down was Frank Kaminsky. And, 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 and even then, even with Saric, still not big <laughs> you know it wasn't yeah, no you know you're, you're you you I think really their defense just got worn down over time by the Bucks. like you know early on for me in that series was the Suns have to win this one early you know in five mm-hmm. games in, in a sweep just because I felt like they would wear down a bit and and hmm. it catches up to you and you know, it's a long run throughout everything. I think ultimately that's really kind of what did them in was just their, their lack of size overall. Cause you know, they, they have a ton of great defenders, but I think fatigue got in the way. And then when you're having to play, you know, Frank, the tank for a couple of minutes, your defense drops. And, and I think that's kind of becomes a big thing. Like, you know, when you look at it this way, I just pulled up uh, Frank Kaminsky's on off numbers you know, when he was on the court, just 29 minutes, played four games, 29 minutes. Defensive rating for the Suns was 122.8. Mm-hmm. 
you know, for the series, they were 114.9. Like, mm-hmm. the thing is, in, in in playoffs and in the finals, it's such a small sample size, but because the finals are itself are small sample size. So 29 yeah. minutes can kill you. And I think that's sure. really stuff that started to really kind of hurt them because, you know, other guys were, were fairly solid defensively for the most part. You know, your major guys is just when you had to go to the other guys, you ran into trouble. Yeah, Suns fans are going to uh, cook me alive if I keep talking about the finals. So I will zoom out a bit because, <laughs> of course, that's not, you know, we don't know if they'll face the Bucks. That's the least of their concerns in the short term. Um, and we also saw some of those same issues hurt them during other parts of the playoffs, right? I mean, Anthony Davis in that game three was really devastating. And that's when everybody came away thinking the Lakers have this in the bag because of the, what AD was able to do. And again, we don't know if they'll face him necessarily, but did they solve those size issues? Do you think in the off season, do you feel better? Cause I mean, they get JaVale McGee, but other than that, the roster does look pretty similar. They actually lose Torrey Craig, who's one of the only guys uh, that you really could say was a bigger wing, a bigger forward option for them. So it doesn't look like to me that that part has been has been solved. Um, with that said, though, there's obviously other ways of, of accounting for that. So how do you feel about the defense kind of heading into this upcoming season overall? Do you think that it's just a matchup thing that they, they have to try to avoid? Or are there some structural problems that are going to flare up no matter what? Right. And I mean, we can start with just like the additions and bringing in JaVale McGee and adding another big man like that's solid. I think that was a pretty pretty decent pickup. I, we know all the histories of how spacey JaVale McGee can get from time to time. But again, you're just counting on him to play, you know, 15 minutes or or whatnot. I think that's you're you're going to be okay in that sense. It's not like they wowed me with anything they did. But let's just be honest, Brandon. If they come back and do the same exact defense that they had all last season. I mean, it was six in defensive rating. Like, they were right in the mix. They were a solid defensive team. They improved their defense once the playoffs began. You know, I think there's – it's they, they have the tools. Mikhail Bridges is a hell of a defender. Chris Paul, though he's getting old, it's, it's turning into a crafty defender, a little bit sneaky with some of his stuff, um, and, and get, knows how to get away with things. But Crowder still solid. DeAndre Ayton made lots of improvements defensively. And really throughout the playoffs, I thought was a real good centerpiece for the, uh, excuse me, I'm about to say the Bucks for the Suns and that whole thing, you know, like I think guys will just continue to get better defensively, but, and, and, and that might see a jump, but I don't know if there's much more they could do, but even if they can't do much, they were pretty freaking good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at the, it's this weird thing. And I think that the NBA kind of overreacts to it sometimes where one, player or one type of player goes off in a postseason and we kind of act like we need to account for that like last offseason the big talk was the Lakers size right with having AD at the four and then Dwight or JaVale well it's like I think at the end of the day really the Lakers best identity would be if they can play small so that felt that feels a little silly in hindsight similarly with this it's like yeah I mean we can all go out there and try to chase a Giannis stopper but the reality is there aren't a lot of those and I do think that just DeAndre Ayton growing as a player and getting those reps against AD against Giannis will probably make him a little bit better equipped for it especially if he doesn't feel like he has to save his fouls quite as much with JaVale McGee there so 
I think that there are obvious internal solutions and their structural identity is not flawed by any means. But let's dig into some of this a little bit more because um, there are some some statistical things that jump out when you look at the defense and, uh, you know, obviously there are going to be some changes. Teams don't just stay the same year after year. We even saw that by the end of the finals. They looked a lot different than they did matchup wise and, and, and everything else at the beginning of the final. So we'll get to that stuff in just one second. First though, a quick word from Sweatblock. Sweatblock is the little secret to confidence right in your back pocket. Anyone who lives in Arizona knows that sweat and the odor that comes with it can be a nightmare. It can be just, it doesn't even mean you have an issue with anything. You just have to deal with it because of where you live and it doesn't make it any better when you have a big appointment or you have a meeting or a presentation or a date or a a hangout with friends and family that you are anxious for. It all piles up and it can really suck. That's why Sweatblock comes in handy. Again, that little secret to confidence right in your back pocket. Put it in any bag, any uh, work bag, backpack, whatever it might be, or right in that back pocket because it is not your typical deodorant. It's not a big clunky stick you got to carry around. It is a wipe. It's like a wet nap. You just crack it open, apply it underneath. They say apply it before you go to bed the night before. It gets to seep in there, stick in there. You wake up. They say let it go for seven days. I get it if you're a little nervous living in Arizona or otherwise and not willing to push it seven days. I usually, when I've tried it in the past, I'll go, you know, two, three, and it really does stay that long, which is far more than, again, a deodorant, which you're going to have to reapply multiple times in a day if it's especially hot. So, again, think of it not like a typical deodorant, but that little secret to confidence that can get you through the day, get you through a sticky situation, pun definitely intended. If you're someone you know could benefit from checking out Sweatblock, go to sweatblock.com, use the promo code Locked On when you do to get 20% off your purchase. Again, that's promo code Locked On at checkout for 20% off at sweatblock.com or check them out at Amazon and CVS. Okay, Mo, answering again this question here, Question 11, how could the Suns' defense change in 2022? I'm going to go through the numbers here real quick. Some of the ones that jump out just looking back in hindsight. So the Suns allowed a ton of threes, and that's somewhat by design, right? They help at the nail. They have that early help where Mikhail Bridges or Jay Crowder is going to get in the driver's face in the pick and roll to crowd things, to prevent the lane from you know being open and maybe create some turnovers. So naturally, three-point shooters are going to be able to get looks off you know they want to be by design not letting the great shooters get those off they also allowed an incredibly high percentage at the rim 65.5 percent of opponent shots went in at the rim um, and a lot of the team and, and teams made a lot of the threes that they were able to take didn't burn the suns too bad again you know if you let the bad shooters take them and every so often they get hot on the whole you're probably going to be okay um, and then last but not least transition uh, they were they got pretty lucky during the regular season transition wise. They didn't allow teams to do too much damage, even though they allowed a lot of frequency in transition. But in the postseason, they didn't do enough to stop that. And I think a lot of these numbers are going to be colored by what Milwaukee was able to do. Um, but even the Lakers at times were able to get out and run, and, and different teams were were able to punish them that way. And they were one of the worst transition defensive teams in the postseason. So. That's kind of the overarching view. But again, like you said, it worked. So what if you were in that coaching staff, in that that video room for Phoenix, would you be looking to to try out differently heading into uh, this new season? Yeah, I think the first area I think I would start is gang rebounding, right? And I think that's a big 
big part of it. You know, every everything kind of stems from that part of the the court. You know, when when you're able to get stops, you got to finish with the defensive rebound. And for the most part, you know, that's not a great area. They were 18th. You know, it wasn't like I'm not saying you're again because again they're smaller, right? You're starting Crowder at the four. You're automatically starting small. And in the Western Conference, it's a fairly bigger conference. You know, uh, with a lot of the teams, and and I think, you know, you're you're giving up a lot of stuff on the boards on those ends, and that's a big key there. Transition defense wise, it gets a little bit trickier because I think that's where your offense comes into play. Also, you know, so you have to have more awareness in terms of floor balance, and when guys are, look, when Chris Paul's running his high pick and roll and he's running down and eight and rolls to the rim, and you have two two shooters in the corner it creates a situation where really you have four guys below the free throw line at this point. It makes it tough. If, and Chris is very good. If he doesn't make the right play out of it or, or Devin Booker, you know, if they don't make the right read out of it, Cameron Payne along those lines and, and the other team gets a stop, it does open up that opportunity for them to get out in the break. So I think they have to work on the floor balance and how to kind of recognize when like, Hey, I don't need to be in the corner and this maybe it's the strong side corner guy should probably start to kick up. There's got to be a different, more ideas and philosophy in that sense of getting back on defense. Cause that's, that's sort of what holds you back in transition defense. Usually it starts with just poor, poor, poor excuse me. So tongue twister to say poor floor balance usually yeah. ends yeah. up being the big cause of that. And I think that's something that you have to kind of address right away. And that's something you address with your offense. And that's and that's it seems funny, but like I always talk about it. A lot of the defense sometimes issues can be fixed with depending on how the offense re- reacts to certain things. And that that's going to come down to guys making sure they're getting back in transition and giving better floor balance in that instance. Yeah, that's all great stuff. The other thing I didn't say about the rim uh, accuracy, opponent rim percentage, was that in the playoffs it, it actually went down from the regular season and was the second best rim accuracy defensively in the entire NBA during the postseason. And I'm sure there's a lot of noise and a lot of that type of of data just looking at it raw. But I do think you can probably draw a pretty strong correlation between Aiton just playing hard and playing incredibly well and being on the floor 40 plus minutes in a lot of those games. Um, and, and the fact that the Suns were able to protect the rim. You mentioned Frank Kaminsky. He's by no means going to be stopping many people, so you get Aiden out there and things are going to look better. That said, we did see, you know, in that Anthony Davis matchup, in the Giannis matchup, even in, in the Jokic matchup, who's a guy who can stretch the floor and put the ball on the floor from, you know, face-up situations, he's going to pull you away from the basket a little bit, that Aiton was out there pretty much full-time when those matchups uh, came about. Um, so I wonder what you think the Suns can do to being that small type of team. It's a way that a lot of teams play these days. The Heat just made the finals with a very small team and, and an even smaller center than DeAndre Ayton. But how do they continue to protect the rim and shore up the paint while also trusting Ayton to go out and patrol the perimeter against these wings and forwards who are going to try to score on them at the same time? I mean, you, you, you just asked the question, if I had the answer to, I'd be uh, making a lot of money along the sidelines. Um, it, yeah, it, well. it, it, <laughs> it, it's going to come into some interesting things there. I think, you know, 
the one of the bigger points is when Aiton comes over and rotates over to block a shot, you got to have that backside rotation. And they've been pretty good about that. But it, 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 what happens is if you don't have that rotation over, <clears throat> the big man stops coming over because he doesn't trust that you're going to somebody else is going to drop down and cover for him. So, you know, those are going to be the kind of things that they it's it's all team effort. Right. It's the yeah. constant rotations for one another. So, you know, for Aiton to be able to kind of keep that rim protection up that he had during the playoffs, he's got to continue to everybody else has got to do their part in it. They got to pitch in to make sure that he has those moments so that he has somebody covering for him because it comes down to helping the helper. And when that happens, everything starts to fall into place. And that's really where the defense begins to, to grind. And then, you know, he is going to get put out there on the perimeter a lot, you know, and we're going to see how that works. I thought he did a pretty good job throughout the, the playoffs. You know, he made a leap from the regular season to the playoffs in his defense. I thought it improved drastically. And I think I was surprised by that. I, I wasn't expecting that. And now it's, can you sustain what you have? You know, it's, it's going to come down to not just eight and doing it at this high level, but everybody around him doing their part. You know, when the big man's got to come and step up on the perimeter, it's what's the guard doing is the guard coming over to fighting over the screen to relieve him. Is the guard doing a good job switching late? So he's not in a bad position. It's, it's all of those things. And it's, it's why the deep team deep, excuse me, why defense is such a team defense thing you know great defenders also have good defense defenders around them to help and I think that's the ultimate thing there and I think this is where you're going to get good things from the Suns because we talked about eight and I think is going to get better defensively I think Bridges is going to get better defensively I think even guys like Cam Johnson is are going to improve defensively Jay Crowder he's a little bit up there in age but he's good at where he's at now you know and and CP's always going to be at the very least a solid defender. So I think you're you're in a good position. Even Devin Booker has has improved defensively, and we're probably not giving him enough shine. Like he's made some strides defensively. He's got to continue to make those strides and continue to help out. But there there's a lot of promise in that when you look at their defense already. I think so too. And you know, helping the helper and and the backside rotations and things like that. I think you look at block percentage but for Mikhail Bridges has trended up 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 significantly every year I think that's an area where going into last season I was really hoping he would be able to improve because you know Kelly Oubre made some questionable decisions he's he's by no means like an incredible team defender but at the same time he could get up there and block some shots and is a guy who has that athleticism and I was hoping Mikhail could add a little bit of that to his game I think he did you know Jay Crowder just having the physicality and ability to draw charges and things like that that he does uh, slap the ball away just get in the way I think that's sort of and his best utility dancing. yeah <laughs> and salsa dancing uh maybe combine the two maybe get into some salsa <laughs> under the basket I, I wouldn't be surprised if he busted it out um and all that stuff's happened right so like I think that they are making progress and it is still a young team so I, I totally get you um where I want to end here is to kind of get your thoughts on We've talked a lot about Thaddeus Young here in the Valley. There's been a lot of reporting around him and his availability. I obviously think the Suns have an extra roster spot. They have some trade chips. Like they do have the means to get to get better in season. So I want to kind of hear what you think they might try to do, what they should do there. 
Uh, after a quick break, first though, a word from Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar ever, my favorite protein bar. And Built Bar likes to say the healthiest candy bar ever because that's really closer to what it is. I have one last bar from my cookie dough chunk pack that I was so graciously given by the folks at Built Bar. The worst part of that though is that it always comes to an end. I finish the box and then I have to Look at, figure out what's next. What box am I going to order next? Whether it's coconut or raspberry, one of the classic favorites there, or my personal favorite double chocolate, or some of the seasonal ones like that cookie dough chunk or German chocolate or orange. They are constantly rotating out so you don't get bored. You get to try new stuff. It's seasonal. It's based on the flavors of the moment. So always, always, always giving you the best tasting stuff that they can over at Built Bar. But each and every one is going to be covered 100% chocolate. It's going to be packed with 17 to 18 grams of protein, and it's never going to be more than 180 calories. So you get something light. Maybe it's between meals. Maybe it's before a workout, after a workout, whatever it might be. You never have to worry that you're putting something bad into your body. You just put that in there, chew it up, and you're good to go. It's going to get you the protein and that power that you need to get through your day. Go to built.com. Use the promo code LOCK15 at checkout to get 15% off your next order. Again, that's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. Closing out the show here with Mo DeKeel of Bleacher Report and The Athletic. Thank you for making Locked On Suns your first listen every single morning. We are T minus six days, less than one week till Suns basketball is back in our lives. I could not be more excited. Uh, Mo, of course, is as well and is way more locked into the whole league than I am. So I'm sure you're a little nervous as well that there's going to be so much more uh, work coming up for all of us, but uh, we all love it. So it's fine anyway. I wanted to ask you, though, as I was saying, coming into the break, Mo, Thaddeus Young, is that the type of player that makes sense to you? I mean, he does some offensive things that make him a good fit, in my opinion, here as well as a playmaker, as a little bit of a floor spacer, maybe not the best you could get there, but but can get that job done, has size, maybe can be a backup five for you a little bit. But defensively, I think you'd be looking for him to be an option on the Giannis types, on the Anthony Davis types. Is that a role you think he can fill? Is he, is he somebody you would target if you were Phoenix? I, I, I'll push back a little bit on the, the being able to defend some of those guys uh, okay. re- really well. Uh, you know, I think he'd, he'd, he, he'll have a hard time with that. But Thaddeus Young is going to be a name associated with every contender. Yeah. Every contender yeah. is going to have their eyes on him and hoping they can find a way to pry him away from San Antonio. Like, I think there's going to be a lot of that, you know, with, with what you're looking for. In that, you know, because he does have a lot. He does bring the opportunity to play kind of the, you know, small ball situation, playing a, a power forward, could play a center at times for for spells and, and things like that, depending on the lineup and so on. So I think there's going to be a lot of stuff. But those, but that's the good news for the Suns is they're in on those conversations, right? Yeah. Like they're at that level now where it's they can look at those guys. I mean, we're two or three years removed when they were giving up those guys. In theory, that was Tyson Chandler, right? Like Trevor that was Ariza. Yep. Trevor Ariza. Like they were they're they're in a different position. They're on the other end of it, waiting for like, hey, we're players in the buyout market, right? Like we gotta pay attention to it. So it's it's so hard though, especially this early in the season. I mean, we haven't even started kind of yeah. predicting like who is gonna be the buyout candidates, who are gonna be the guys that are gonna be available and and can you get them and whatnot. But like that's the right mindset. A guy like that young is is something but he can help the Suns. Like there's no question about it. 
can also help the Lakers, can also help the Clippers, can also help Dallas, can also help uh, Utah. I, like We can go through the whole list of teams. Like Everybody should be in on this and at least very much paying attention to it. Um, and he's kind of like the first name, I think, that pops into everybody's head along those lines. I thought San Antonio was going to get rid of him. I, I'm surprised that he lasted this long. I know they don't really make trades, and I, I know he's the type of guy just as like an efficient, smart veteran basketball player that's going to fit well with how they want to operate over there. But I just, it, it surprised me that they wanted to hold on to him. And obviously, you know, maybe they drive the price up by waiting and you get some desperate teams, there's injuries, everything else. And maybe you do get a little bit more than you might have in September. But um, it just seems like a waste that he's he's going to spend some time there and he he's made it clear he wants to win and all that stuff. So everybody will be watching. Suns fans will surely be watching as well. It sounds like though, like I was going to ask you, you concoct a player in a laboratory. What type of player would you want to add to make the Suns team even better? Uh, it sounds like they're, I mean, not that, that they can't get better, but it seems like you, you would be fine rolling with what they have and just counting on some of that internal growth to, to get them over the hump. It, it doesn't sound like you think there's a huge missing piece here. I don't. I think if there was one thing I was going to add, it would have it would be more size. You know, um, it's not. Uh, it, we just saw how it kind of hurt them. Come, come, you know, the finals. I mean, granted, they made it all the way to the finals, but like it's you, you see the issues with that when they do come up against a big team. Um, I'm sure this will annoy fans, but I still think if the Lakers were healthy, it's a different series. You know, and that's again their size comes into play there. I think. Yeah. You know, when when you're looking at some of these other teams that you're going to have to face, you know, it, Denver with Jokic is still going to be an issue, right? And and just you're still really thin up there. And I think that would be the only real thing because you got the wing defenders, and I, that that's a huge piece that a lot of teams are missing, you know. And I think that goes a long way. But just yeah. that's the one thing where I'd feel a lot more confident if they just added a little bit more size. In that. And JaVale McGee's nice, but it's, you know, they need a little bit more to, to go with that. Yeah. I mean, I'm the guy who's been, you know, I, I've been talking, I've been hosting this show for going on four years next month. And I probably was talking about Aaron Gordon for three and a half of that until he got traded to Denver. Right. Because <laughs> um, I mean, he's just, he's exactly the type of, of player that I think would solve that where he can fit enough into that small ball identity without, you know, making you too big and, and too, uh, and not versatile enough anymore, but also has a little bit more strength and size. I was yelling about Paul Millsap all off season. And I know that's a big downgrade from Aaron Gordon, but he's at least a piece, a, a versatile piece there. Um, Thad, I think could at least start to answer some of those questions. I've even hollered about Rondé Hollis Jefferson on this show, and I know he's not going to make an ounce of difference, but he's always available. And it's just, it's those guys. And, they haven't really ever taken a swing on many of them. I guess you could say Chandler Hutchison is a is a very, very long shot type of player who, who sort of fits that mold. But I think you're right. I mean, they have this roster. And, and at the end of the day, too, what, one of the, the, the cons of a potential acquisition of a player like Thad or whoever it might be that I've talked about, too, is like you're starting to talk about taking playing time away from players who might just be flat out better, even if they're smaller, right? Like is... Paul Millsap better than JaVale McGee like would you know is he better than Cam Johnson like yeah you want to have the versatility you want to be able to mix and match lineups when you do face matchups where you need to do that but 
they have a top eight or nine here that is pretty, pretty good. Um, I have a couple rapid fire ones for you before we get off here, Mo. Um, <laughs> I know Monty Williams is very big on, pun intended here, big on size. Uh, is it crazy to think we might see some DeAndre Ayton, JaVale McGee lineups? Would that be just stupid in 2021 or could it work? What Are we going to see that? What do you think? I don't think we're going to see that. I think okay. that's, you know, unless it's just like, hey, we're playing around. Um, hey, we saw Ayton and Kaminsky for way longer than I thought we yeah, would last year. You- we saw Baines and Kaminsky. I know, or Baines and eight. I know the difference is JaVale McGee can't shoot, right? Exactly. And yeah. that's the ultimate thing. So now, unless Aiton's going to start flashing a, a very consistent three-point shot, I don't think you're going to see that. I think that's where you run into issues. Um, so I think that's where, what, you're, what you're looking for in that instance. So it's going to be, you're going to be hard-pressed to find the... Uh, um, that that scenario unless it's like a 30 point blowout and Monty's just like screw it let's have some fun sure all right the other one is is somebody you mentioned at the end of the last segment and we again you're right we probably should have talked about him sooner um last year I think anyone who watched Devin Booker was going to look at it and say that he had made some strides he wasn't as um he didn't have as many just slip-ups and and lackadaisical efforts off ball on defense guys weren't beating him quite as often although it did still happen Strength-wise, I think he's gotten a lot bigger and stronger since joining the league, and so he's able to match up a little bit better with some of his just on-ball assignments. He doesn't have to be hidden quite as often, and look, frankly, he's not going to be on a team with Chris Paul and Cameron Payne. He's not going to be hidden because he can't be if they're already being hidden. So um, the result of that was, you know, late in, in the finals, I was advocating, and I think a lot of Suns fans were advocating for him to be the guy to check Chris Middleton more often and to try to see if if that was something that they could survive doing to allow Bridges to be on holiday and Aiton to be on Giannis and, and the trickle-down effect there. So does that make sense to you, understanding how much we have to expect Devin Booker to do from a usage perspective offensively for him to be guarding guys like that consistently and do you think he's grown enough where that's actually a possibility? Because the numbers would still tell you he's a, he's a huge minus. Yeah, I think it's one. I think players should accept that challenge. Like I, I, the greats can do both cover on both ends. Let's just start there. Right. Like the, the, everything about being legendary and all of that, (laughs) you got to be able to play on both ends. Shots at the tattoo. Mojis, you know, well, shade, whatever. <laughs> but it's just you got to be able to play on both ends, right? And that's what I'm saying. Like you know, we, when you look at the greats, you know, and we're talking, you know, Jordan at his best, Kobe. When we're talking about LeBron, when you know, LeBron doesn't have the best defense, but like when he's locked in, he's a hell of a defender. When you're looking at the Kawhis and guys like that, like that's what you kind of need. And I, I want to see Devin Booker take on that challenge more often it is a concern that you are going to be worried a little bit about tiring him out too much you know but that's where you got to come in and go like okay then we're going to sub you out for a few minutes we're going to change our rotations so that you can get a breather here and there maybe we're going to use our timeouts a little bit differently to to buy you another minute or two to catch your breath but those are the things i want to see from devin booker but i think that's a fair assessment i thought he did a pretty good job on chris middleton when he was on him at times you know and he's got the size. He's 
yeah. strong dude. Like there's no question he can do it. Um, in terms of like, it's, it's not like when you look at Steph Curry, you're like, yeah, he's, he, he, he's skinny. He's too small. He's not going to be able to do it. Devin Booker can. And I think that yeah. stuff we can see more of. And I think that's the next step in his progression. You know, offensively, I'd like to see him maybe become a little bit better of a playmaker, but really where I want to see the most growth is in his defensive game. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you get to a certain point where it's like this is a guy who during the regular season is going to be playing, you know, 34, 36 minutes during the playoffs, going to be playing 40 plus for you. He's one of the more physically the profiles on your team physically that you would hope could be a pretty solid wing defender. And a guy like that, you just needed to be able to take advantage of what he is on defense. He's a brilliant player. He's athletic. He's strong. He he fits the mold of somebody who should be able to play defense for you at a really high level. I get some guys, you know, do and don't have that. I'm not just trying to say, snap your fingers. Like I could go out there and do it. But of course, that's what the expectation is. And I think as he gets further into his career, as he learns to balance himself on offense and pick his spots, choose his spots, control his sort of effort and, and fatigue and all of that stuff, you would expect that that's a part of his game that he could grow into, even if it's been, it would be a really big growth pattern for him to get all the way to that. And I get that. He was really not great at all coming out of, of Kentucky, but I think that there has to be a commitment from him there. And I think that we've already seen it and I think you'd hope it would grow. And and all And overall, all of this stuff, I think it might sound simple, but having a legitimate training camp should do wonders because this is a team that somehow developed chemistry over the course of the season by having veterans and and having, you know, the young guys have having spent some time together previously and they figured it out on the fly, but look, now they'll have some real time together. So I hope that that, uh, I hope that that affects things in a positive way and, and that they do just some of the help and some of the commitment and the role and the rotations that we've talked about a lot of that stuff just gets better from repping it and, and being together and being a team for a longer time so um i think that's a good summation of the defense man i appreciate you coming on i saw you participated in a uh, little kyrie irving roundtable getting in on the news of the day anything else <laughs> yeah. uh, anything else folks can check out from you be expecting from you as we get toward uh, tip off i have something coming out towards the end of the week uh hopefully uh on bleacher report along the lines of looking at these foul uh changes the way the game is going to be officiated a little bit differently um there may be a son who will be featured a little bit in here but i'm not going to spoil who um you know uh but taking a look at that stuff and then you can always check out my work on nerder she wrote on the athletic podcast network that comes out every friday with me seth partnow and dave dufour and who knows what we end up talking about so um that's pretty much what i have coming towards the end of this week all right. Yeah. Great show over there. I, I listen all the time and Mo's one of the best at breaking stuff down on Twitter as well. So if you don't already follow him at Mo Dekeel underscore NBA, we will be back tomorrow with a recap. Actually, I'm going to put it up late tonight, as I always do. Recap of the final preseason game. We'll get one more of these 13 questions out of the way and then closing the week out with Jake Fisher, also a Bleacher Report. So he will be giving us the latest on all of the Suns trade reporting and trade rumors from throughout the offseason. So check us out then, guys. Until then, enjoy your Wednesday and enjoy the game.